0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series Defending the Faith today with a message titled The Goodness of God in the Face of Suffering. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 5 as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I'm reading Luke 13, 1 to 5. There was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This authentic saying of Jesus has raised a great many questions for people who try to understand the nature of suffering. You know, we can imagine a number of people in the south of Jerusalem, alongside the Eastern Wall, looking down to the Kidron Valley below, going to work, engaging in commerce, some on the way to the temple, then suddenly, unexpectedly, the tower collapses. Eighteen people happened to be in the way, and in an instant, their lives were taken from them. Did they have families? Were they young? Were they old? Were they saints or were they sinners? Well, we don't know. All we know is that they happened to have been in the wrong place when that structure collapsed. So why did that happen? From one perspective, the answer is it was just bad luck. But Christians can't answer that way. The Bible paints a picture of the world which is altogether foreign to the modern eye. In the worldview of the Bible, God's providence rules over all things. Christ sustains the universe every single moment. Nothing occurs by luck. Everything happens within the permissive will of God. And so it might have been that the builders of the Tower of Siloam didn't build a solid enough of a structure, but in truth, a sovereign God stands behind all things, allowing only those things that are in keeping with his divine will. According to Jesus, the Tower of Siloam is God's divine warning to everyone who hears of it. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That is to say, those who perished underneath the tower were were no better and no worse than the rest of us. But their death tells the rest of us that the matters of life and death are always before us. As long as towers of Siloam fall, we will never be able to hide in our castles of illusions. We will always be confronted with the reality of both life and death, that these stand before us. God is sounding a warning note. Repent. Come to your senses. Turn to God. You will not escape either death or the judgment. See, those who are uncomfortable with hearing this, well, you need to wonder why that is. Why is it that you're so uncomfortable? Is it because we find the idea of divine warning so uncomfortable? After all, God could stop towers of Siloam from falling, but he doesn't. You know, some of us spend our lives puzzling over that question without ever considering Christ's answer. Let me try to illustrate that in our terms. On December 26, 2004, the day after Christmas, a massive tsunami struck a number of South Asian countries, including Indonesia. I was fascinated to see a video posted on YouTube in in which a German tourist videotaping the shoreline was, was remarking what a day in paradise this was. As the ocean was suddenly receding, he was not aware of the danger he was in. He was commenting on how strange that phenomenon was. How could the ocean just go back so far? And then in the distance, through the lens of the camera, you could see the ocean coming back. And because it was still so far away, he just kept on filming. What a strange occurrence. He'd never seen anything remotely like that in his life. But even so, it continued to be a day in paradise, a wonderful Christmas vacation, a family, getting a break from a cold Christmas at home in Germany, now in an idyllic setting in a tropical place of beauty. And shortly afterward, that day in paradise would would leave over a quarter million people dead. And that's the story of the earth. In this fallen state, God has so designed it that this earth would give us both a foretaste of heaven and of hell. And in this, he designs to warn us and to encourage us. Now is the day of repentance. An eternal paradise and an eternal day of suffering are are just before us. Consider the gravity of it all. Repent. Turn to God. There is no hope but the hope that we have in God. The suffering of this world is the means that God has chosen to show every human being that the great issues of eternity are right now before us. But you might ask, why those people? I mean, Why the 18 under the Tower of Siloam and not other people who also deserve God's wrath for their sins? I mean, why is it that the ones under the Tower of Siloam are no better and no worse than the rest? Why is one summoned before judgment and the other's judgment is delayed? See, I'm afraid the Bible does not answer that question. The questions of the timing of God's judgment and mercy are in his hands, in his infinite wisdom. God, whose wisdom is so vastly superior to ours, has chosen the objects of his wrath. Mercy is extended to the majority out of the goodness and the love of God. We should all say of the earthquake in Haiti, the 1931 flood in China that left millions dead, the Christmas tsunami of 2004, it should have been me. But mercy has been granted to me. I should repent of all sin. I, I should surrender my life to the God who is not to be trifled with. I should fear him for when the Lord of glory thunders, who will not fear. But and this is key. Suffering means something different for believers than it means for unbelievers. For unbelievers, time is given to turn to the mercy of God. For believers, Christ has already borne the wrath of God on his cross. Our sins were nailed to Christ's cross, and the Lord of glory thundered against Christ, our sin substitute, and through his wounds we have been healed. So if the greatest foreshadowing of judgment is the cross of Christ, and if I have been pardoned by the blood of his cross, why then should I suffer at all? Has Christ not borne all my suffering away? But Christians are also called upon to suffer, but our suffering means something so much different than the suffering of the world. First, it is not a divine warning. Our suffering is an act of love. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That seems almost incomprehensible to some. I am, and let me say this, in no hurry, nor am I eager to suffer. And yet scripture says it has been granted. That is, it is an action of love. But how can that be? Well, let's find out. Suffering for believers does not just point to one thing, but to many things. What I say about suffering in the lives of believers is not meant to be even close to an an exhaustive treatment on the subject. But since this has been a three-week series on the subject of apologetics, I am giving not all, but some of the reasons why believers suffer. And that's not just because as believers, we need to know what to do with our sufferings, but, but we also need to be able to answer those who ask us for the hope that is within us. So when an unbeliever asks, if you are loved by God, Why do your people suffer as much as anyone else? You see, when the towers of Siloam fell, Christians are as likely to be under those towers as anyone else. How can that be possible? Again, it's not possible to give all the answers. I mean, why is it that among the refugees fleeing war-torn Syria, Christians flee alongside of Muslims? You see, I can't possibly answer specific questions. I don't know why your wife or your husband died too early. To know the specifics would be to know the infinite wisdom of God but I think I can give a sampling of what the Bible teaches. I wish I could do a full study of this, but it would take many sermons. And today, I'm going to give you just six reasons why believers suffer. So here's reason number one. Suffering gives believers discernment. And what I mean here is that suffering clarifies for us what's important and what's not. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I know that's a mouthful, but it's easy to see that in Paul's thinking, one thing leads to the other. Suffering leads to endurance, that is, the ability to be strong over a long period of time. This produces character, the kind that leads to hope, for we believe the day of suffering will come to an end. There is with every true believer a deep, vibrant, and undying optimism that no amount of suffering will eclipse. Indeed, the suffering will only fuel the hope. I hope you caught all that. Suffering eventually leads you to put your hope into eternal things and not into worldly things. God knows that if your hope is set on the world, you will be of no value, and so suffering changes a person's perspective. You know the things that once mattered so much Those things begin to fade away, and the things of eternity become clearer and more focused as our mindset is taken up in the mindset of Christ. And that's what I meant when I said suffering gives believers discernment, the discernment to know what's important and the things that are not.
0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. I wanted to share with you how blessed and encouraged we are that God is using this ministry to impact so many lives across this country. Recently, we received these words of encouragement. Thank you for the great role you play in the lives of Canadians and around the world. Shauna wrote, your work has enriched the lives of countless people. And finally, may God continue to grow his army and kingdom through your work. We're so grateful. Your efforts, your support of Bible teaching makes this ministry possible nationally and globally. So make sure to check out all the ways Back to the Bible Canada can support you in your spiritual journey. So many of our Bible resources are available to you for free. To learn more or to support this Bible teaching ministry with a financial gift, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: I've said that suffering plays a unique role in the life of a believer. I've said first that suffering gives believers a sense of discernment in which they begin to make distinctions between that which is of great importance and that which is not. Now, reason number two, suffering produces discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 to 7 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? See, discipline is very different from punishment. Punishment is related to justice. For believers, the justice of God was satisfied on the cross. And on the other hand, discipline is related to discipleship, training. I mean, think about any discipline in life. You know, it can be the discipline of an athlete or the discipline of an artist or a musician who has to shut himself or herself off from all other pursuits in order to learn a singular skill. The same is true of the discipline of the scholar. Discipline shapes a person and it makes them effective. But discipline also demands that certain things are now going to be left behind. Suffering is God's tool to so shape our character so that things are left behind and other things are acquired to make us fit for the service of God. Now, reason number three for why Christians suffer. Suffering produces humility. Listen to Paul's own experience with this one. It's recorded in Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. See, Paul is saying that were it not for his sufferings, that he would have become an egomaniac, but his suffering humbled him. And I do feel the same way. God is determined not to allow me or you to become proud. And so out of love for us, he continues to humble us through the difficulties that we face and the sufferings that we endure. Reason number four, Christians suffer to open up opportunities. And we think about all of the opportunities that come through suffering. In Philippians, Paul writes that his chains have given him a chance to share the gospel with Caesar's elite Roman guard. Had he not been arrested in Jerusalem, and were it not for the fact that he received no proper trial in Caesarea, He would never have made an appeal to Rome. And there, as he awaited his trial before Caesar's tribunal, an opportunity was given to him to share the gospel with the guards who made up Caesar's elite Roman praetorium. Without Paul's suffering, no such possibility would ever have come up. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, Paul speaks about the God of comfort for his suffering people. He says, "...who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, God will train you to comfort the suffering by experiencing it yourself. You know, for years I worked with Pastor Ray Duick, who served under me as the department head for pastoral care. And Pastor Ray had spent countless days in the hospital as a patient, and in his own suffering, God gave him an extraordinary ability to reach out and minister to the suffering. There are opportunities you would never have had were it not for your suffering. Joseph saved a huge population from starvation, but would never have gotten there if his brothers would not have sold him into slavery. On and on go the opportunities. Reason number five, suffering produces Christ-likeness. Did you know that until you suffer, you will never understand the sufferings of Christ and what it meant for him to willingly suffer for you? even in the hours of your own death, which still lie ahead of all those who are now listening to my voice, when you lie dying, you would do well to remember the death of Christ so that you might be overwhelmed that this very thing, this dying, is what he chose to do for your redemption. Unlike you, it was not thrust on him. He willingly embraced it and chose it for you. And when you think of that in your dying bed, you will love him all the more. Philippians 3 verse 10 says that "That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How sad it would be if our heavenly Father hid suffering from us and in the process you and I never tasted and smelt and felt and experienced what it is to suffer. And in those experiences in which we taste suffering, we know our Savior more and more. That's because we will be able to see that he, unlike us, chose to suffer. When you suffer, you'll be overwhelmed by his love, for this is what he chose so that you might live. Now, I have given five reasons why believers suffer. We suffer so that we might be able to discern that which is genuinely valuable. We suffer so that we might acquire discipline. We suffer to gain humility. We suffer so that new doors of effective service might be opened to us. And we suffer so that we might grow in likeness. And if I were to put all this together, I would put one word to describe it all. Suffering for the believer means that we are encountered by a God of love. Yes, a loving God is holding nothing back in our preparation to be conformed into the image of Christ. And here's the wonder of it all. Suffering is God's loving act both for the believer and for the unbeliever. For the unbeliever, he or she is no longer tempted to think flippantly about what lies before us and about the difference between the present and eternity. And for the believer, suffering conforms us into the image of Christ. We know from Romans 8.28 that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him and are, and are called according to his purpose. Our God in heaven is holding nothing back so that our sufferings are working to God's glory and our eternal long-term joy. But here I need to end on an important note. When I come upon a suffering person, I I never offer any of those reasons. Years ago, I led a woman to Christ who came from a completely non-Christian background. And she heard the message of Christ and she became intrigued. But one day, she told me why she hesitated in becoming a Christian. She told me that years ago, her brother had become so depressed, a depression that deepened over the years, and that in the end, he shot himself with a pistol and ended his life. She told me how she suffered with that. And then she asked me a question. Was God watching while all that happened? Was God able to stop all of that with a snap of his fingers, but that he chose not to? She said, if that's true, I don't know if I can come to love him. I didn't go through all of the scriptures that I've just shared. I simply said, It sounds like you loved your brother a great deal. Tell me about him. And she did. And I wept with her. And in the end, without any of these reasons, she surrendered her life to Christ. And this is the point. We're not Job's comforters providing reasons for people's sufferings at every point in time. We are rather fellow human beings who have come to know that our God is both just and loving, both all-powerful yet intimately concerned with our well-being. But as we are called upon by nonbelievers to give a reason for the hope that is within us, we need to be clear on this matter. And it is true that that there are times when someone wants to know, is it really conceivable in a world which has cancer and natural disasters and accidents on the freeway, domestic violence and wars and financial reversals and slander and injustice, a world where towers of Siloam unexpectedly fall on random people or unexpectedly on them? Is it possible to still say, God is good all the time? And the answer is yes, we still say that. You know, some time ago, I went to a funeral. The family was one of the finest Christian families that I know. Their one daughter, not long married, had for years had a long-existent heart condition. She had had a heart transplant, and now she was living on borrowed time. The day of the funeral came, and Mom told the church that day that the last words from her daughter before she passed into eternity were the words, God is good all the time. And that's the hope within all of us. And we need to be equipped to tell the one who asks why it is that such an undying hope lives within us. In Lamentations 3, as Jeremiah looked over the the sufferings of the people of Jerusalem, listen to what he said. I'm reading Lamentations 3, verses 31 to 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Don't you see that's the promise? The Lord brings suffering upon us for the reasons he has stated. But the day of suffering will end, and the sufferings will never be random, but contribute to his glory and to our long-term good. And in the end, we know this he will have compassion. And that's the reason for the hope that is within us. And at some point in time, we need to rehearse that hope for our own good, but also for the good to all those who ask. Heavenly Father, make us able to witness to the goodness of our God, to a world that does not know. In Christ's name we pray.
0: John, I think you've brought up some important information and revelations to us in this study today, because I think these things, all five or six of them, should be before us regularly to remind us of a God that, uh, that, that is so merciful, even in times of suffering. But let me ask you, should suffering be defined as, as pleasure? Should we take pleasure in suffering? Of course
1: not, neither in ourselves nor in those that we love. Um, I think, however, that for the believer, there are reasons to find joy in our suffering. I think that's why Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings. See, this is a really fascinating thing, that, that we should actually find joy in our suffering. Um, and, and I think these uh, six reasons and the sixth was really that, you know, all of the other reasons are assumed under the title of that God loves his people, that he continues to pour out his love on us, that, that we know that we are being conformed into the image of Christ in the middle of our suffering, that God is at work. He's not abandoned us, but that he's holding us close in our sufferings.
0: Sufferings would never have come were it not for the loving hand of God. Thanks so much, John. A great word. And don't forget to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The past number of years Back to the Bible Canada has been blessed to offer a unique Israel experience, a journey to the Holy Land under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld discovering first-hand locations across Israel so prominent in the Bible. On every occasion, those in attendance have agreed it was a spiritual experience of a lifetime. Now's the time to plan ahead. In April of 2021, Back to the Bible Canada is offering our next Israel experience and we want you to attend. Join an intimate group of brothers and sisters journeying across Israel under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld and experience events and activities that will include Laugh Against Phil Calloway. Very special musical guests and hosted by the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Plan to attend. Take advantage of having plenty of notice and register today. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.